Hello, and welcome to the Bitcoin Butlers podcast. I am Mike Watkins, and in this episode, we are going to talk about why sovereign inheritance planning. I have with me, as always, my good friend and business partner, Matt Burke. How's it going? Doing great. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Um, so tonight, uh, we're going to start to dive into sovereign inheritance planning. Um, the first five episodes of our podcast focused on the Bitcoin Butler's best practices for Bitcoin owners. And best practice number three is sovereign inheritance planning or to create a strong inheritance plan. We came up with this plan really after realizing that uh, estate planning and inheritance planning in general is somewhat of an outdated uh, process. And especially when you put Bitcoin and other digital assets into the mix, it's, it gets a lot more complicated and it makes it a lot more difficult for your heirs to be able to access and get, get the assets that you've left for them if something happens to you. So um, before we dive into the actual steps of this plan, I thought it would be a good idea to kind of take a step back and talk about kind of how did we get here? What, uh, what got us to the point where we felt like it was important to create a sovereign inheritance planning process for Bitcoin owners and frankly for anybody. Um, but so let me ask you, uh, how did you, how did you land here? Well, after I decided that I wanted to take Bitcoin more seriously, I told my wife what I was planning on doing. I tried to explain to her why I thought Bitcoin was such an important asset for our family's future. And she was supportive of what I was doing. She knows that I go into these things pretty deep and you know, I'm pretty thoughtful for what I'm doing. But her big thing was she didn't understand it. And while, while my reasons for wanting to shift more of my assets towards Bitcoin sounded appropriate and thoughtful and she agreed with them, her fear was what happens if something happens to me? How is she going to be able to access this if I'm not here? She didn't understand it. This day, I don't really know what her, her true technical abilities are, but I promised her that if I did this, then we would have a very robust plan in place and that her fears of not being able to get to my Bitcoin or my other digital assets uh, were going to be unfounded. And so because of that, along with you, we we designed a plan that we think is really special. Yeah, um, I have a similar uh, story as far as, as why this became important. Um, as I got more and more into Bitcoin and started thinking about how it really differed from all the other assets that I own or have ever owned, um, it became really clear that the subject matter and the somewhat technical aspects of it in terms of retrieving it and understanding the, the transactions and the storage solutions, all of those things, it's not really realistic to ex to expect that your family is going to take the time to learn all of that. And so my thought and what we talked about a lot as we developed this was, let's come up with a way to make sure that we can meet the goals of an inheritance plan, which is to be able to retrieve the assets and then make sure that they're distributed the way that that your will or trust or whatever um, you know establishes your final wishes has laid out 
for your heirs and for the executor of your estate. So um, I think, you know, we, we took a similar path saying that let's look at what's out there now in terms of how people will leave their Bitcoin to their heirs and see if it works for our family. Yeah, I think one of the things that we both realized as we were going through this process was how much this affected people that don't own any Bitcoin or don't own any digital assets at all. You know, we, in just anecdotally talking to different friends and family, I started to realize how many people didn't have a current will, how many people were storing their will incorrectly, how many people just had almost no plan in place whatsoever. And yeah, I think that I, I don't think that we talked to anybody who had thought through each of those steps anywhere close to the extent that they should have kind of in the context of the modern world. And, and I, I talk about this a lot with the inheritance planning, which is that it's not that long ago that we didn't have things like online bank accounts or online brokerage accounts. Forget Bitcoin. Um, you know, even before that, if you know, if you were uh, 45 years old in 2002 and you did your will, um, when your kids were teenagers, uh, there's a good chance that there's not, you didn't have an online bank account at that point. And so in order for your wife or your kids to be able to get into those assets, there has to be some sort of a roadmap. And then when you take something like Bitcoin and you add that into the mix, and then you take, you know, self-custody Bitcoin where you're holding the own, your own keys, um, which you should be doing, it gets even more complicated. So we wanted to come up with a way that, you know, let, uh, let people get some peace of mind around how these assets will be uh, distributed after they're gone. And I think our plan does that. I actually think one of the things that's kind of interesting about our plan is when you look back on it and you look at the different steps that are there, much of it looks very simple. I would almost say like it's, it's almost just common sense in a lot of ways when you see the solution prepared for you. Getting to that solution was a lot more difficult and it didn't seem like it was common sense to get there. But I think when people see what's in there, something as simple as, and I'm going to list one of the things we have in there, is just to send a, an email to your heirs letting them know who your life insurance agent is, if you have life insurance, who your stock agent is, if you have stock, who your uh, representative of your bank is, the different representatives from your major accounts, just having that listed, their telephone number and their email, I think is immensely beneficial to your heirs. And incredibly, it's something that people just don't do. I mean, I know for me personally, I consider myself to be pretty thoughtful and I like to think I'm pretty thoughtful and I like to think I take care of things at, at a level that most people think is uh, maybe a bit crazy at times. And I think we'll get into that in a bit. But I was surprised at how my own planning uh, was deficient and, and how there were some really easy things I could do, even just having a little conversation with my family that would significantly improve their understanding of what to do when I'm no longer here, what kind of assets I have and what steps they would need to take in order to, uh, I'm going to say, you know, in order to get to my assets in order to get to our family's assets. And uh, it doesn't take that much to really improve what you have in place. 
Yeah. And without getting into the details of the plan, because that's definitely not the point of this conversation. Um, so I'm going to shy away from that as much as I can. But at the same time, you know, there are aspects of it that I'm sure we'll, we'll touch on, which is that there's never going to be, there's no such thing as perfection. There's always a chance that something can go wrong. Um, and so where you have some of the solutions that we've suggested, such as, you know, using a password manager or putting trusted people in place that will be able to help your family. Um, if something happens, all of those things, um, are built around the idea that the goal once you're gone is for anyone who is involved in making sure that your assets get distributed, um, that they have to deal with as few third parties as possible in order to do that. And I think when we talk about the idea of a sovereign inheritance plan, that's really where the, where the idea of sovereignty comes in. And without getting into some of the more philosophical aspects of self-sovereignty, as, especially as it relates to Bitcoin, I think that it's important to understand that the idea here is that you have control over what happens and you're putting things in place so that if something happens to you, Nobody's going to be confused, number one. And number two, it's not going to take them days and weeks and months to figure out what to do. And, and you know, we have a mutual friend that that lost a parent uh, a couple of years ago. And, you know, this was somebody who was a professional, had been in, had owned their own business for decades, um, a very sophisticated person financially and just in general, Um and had things all over the place and didn't update their will, didn't take into account changes in different technology or laws or, you know, other things. And my friend and his brother or our friend and his brother, uh, you know, spent a lot of time trying to really locate where a lot of important assets were listed. And there's one other piece to that, that I thought was, was very interesting, which is that there was a, um, there was a, an annuity out there that had been purchased um, at some point years ago when the threshold for a taxable estate was much lower than it is today. And mm -hmm. so you had this, um, I think it was a million dollar threshold and now it's like an $11 million threshold or something like that. It's much higher than it used to be. And there was some asset out there that was put in place in a complicated way because of the laws at the time. And if at any point, you know, in the 20 plus years between that asset being purchased and the person passing away, they would have looked at the change in the tax laws. They would have realized that this was a worthless asset protection strategy and could have made that change. So, you know, again, you want to try to make it so that these little, you know, nuggets of wisdom aren't hidden somewhere where you have to dig for weeks and months to find them. So I think that's something that, that we've tried to, uh, to address with this plan so that, uh, it simplifies things at the same time, you know, you have to do some work and some of it can be complicated and tedious, but, uh, it's worth it because overall, once you're done, it just requires you keeping it up to date. And that's a lot easier than making, you know, people have to deal with it once you're gone. Yeah, I, I can't understate or overstate, I should say, how good it feels when you have one of these plans in place. I really, you know, uh, it's not hyperbole that I'm sleeping better at night 
after I've put in all the work to do this. Mm-hmm. And I think that kind of leads to something else, which is, you know, we've shown this plan to a, a number of people and we also have some mutual friends who are, uh, they're both attorneys, both sophisticated attorneys. And they took a look at it and thought that it was not that there were flaws in it, but that it was overkill and almost like doomsday prepping mentality. <laughs> and I don't think that's very accurate. I think that they just didn't really understand what's there because I think a lot of what's here is really pretty simple and pretty basic. And it, it's, and I know you and I have had this discussion. We're just amazed that it hasn't been here before us. Like these things are so obvious and they're so helpful and uh, such a small amount of effort can make such a big difference later. I'm really surprised that we had to create this, that it wasn't there, that we couldn't create, we couldn't follow someone else's plan. We had to come up and invent our own and go through that, that time and effort, uh, you know, in the year, you know, 2021, 2022, that this, this is, this has been needed for many, many, many decades regardless yeah. of technology. And I'll give my little, uh, the little speech I always give, which is that we understand that none of this is pleasant to think about. It's a, there's a level of morbidity in the subject matter that, you know, we're talking about what happens when someone dies tragically and unexpectedly. And so without ever having to dwell on that, I want to just make the comment that, we understand that this is all going to be needed after a tragedy occurs. And we understand that. Um, But it doesn't mean that you shouldn't think about it. And really where we've seen the biggest deficiency is that if you ask most people that, you know, have their stuff in order, what happens if you die unexpectedly their response is, well, it's probably going to be okay. My wife knows who to call. My husband knows who to call. My kid is, you know, about to graduate college. They're smart enough to figure it out. Fine. Most people legitimately have something in place and, and maybe take Bitcoin out of it because that's a whole nother wrinkle. But but most people have enough in place to where if that were to happen, um, they probably could get by, but almost without fail. If you say, okay, well, what if, God forbid, you and your spouse die at the same time? And every single time I ask that question, and I'm pretty sure every single time you've asked that question, you get the deer in headlights response, which is like, oh, shit, that is not going to be a pleasant experience for anyone if that happens. The grief aside, and that's why I started with that, is because I'm not discounting mm-hmm. the grief. That's obviously a part of it. But mm-hmm. but the, that's really where a lot of people uh the light goes the light bulb goes off to say I, I don't have everything in order because if something were to happen simultaneously, it's gonna be a nightmare trying to figure out what to do. Yeah, and I think that they're going back from that, you know, that's the, 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 you and your spouse dying at the same time, whether it's a car accident or a plane crash or anything like that. I think, uh, almost universally people are not prepared for that. But I think even if you take a step back from that and you ask people, how current is your will? 
where's your will stored? Does, does your husband or wife know where your will is stored? How would they access it? And I've asked people those questions, and some of the answers I've heard are pretty extraordinary. And I'm not talking to – these are not people that i just bumping into on the street and asking a random person a question. These are uh, successful and sophisticated people who are, I'm going to say, in the, in the one example I'm thinking of, 60-plus – and they just don't really have, they don't really have things in order or they're storing their will in a strange location. But almost universally people, I find that uh, people are not prepared for what's there and, or they put some work in, they put some work in many years ago, as you talked about earlier, and they just haven't kept current with it. But the, the benefits to doing this cannot be overstated. And, uh, and, and actually at the end of the day, it's pretty easy. It is easy. It, there's nothing about it. That's difficult. Um, in terms of the actual subject matter or the process, it's just tedious. It takes you have to sit down, you have to focus, you have to get all of your stuff together. You have to think through some things that you haven't thought through before. But outside of that, um, it's not really that hard to do. It's just, it's just, you have to commit yourself to doing it. Agreed. And I think that also another issue that people have is they say, well, I'm young. I'm, I'm going to come up with an age. I'm 27. I'm not married. I don't have a family yet. Why do I need to do this? And the reality is that if you don't do it, then the state is going to take over and determine where your assets are going to go. So if you want to control what happens to your assets when you're gone, you have to put something in place. And it doesn't have to be a very sophisticated thing that you put in place. It just has to be something that expresses your wishes and that document that expresses your wishes needs to be retrievable by the people who, who survive you. And if it doesn't, then you die in a, it's, it's called intestate or without a will. Mm -hmm. And the probate court in most jurisdictions is going to determine where your assets go to and, uh, you know, to what amount to each person. Mm -hmm. And I think no, even, a you know, a 20, you know, a, person in their early 20s, mid 20s, late 20s, early 30s, late 30s, who aren't really thinking about this really would have an issue with the state or the probate court deciding that um, where their assets go rather than their siblings or their parents or even a charitable cause they want to give it to. Right. Because I think the, the, uh, the way I, I think about it is that if you ask somebody that's in that younger age group, you know, if something were to happen to you, it, it's a very simple question. Would you rather that your assets go where you want them to go or where a probate court judge decides that they should go? And by the way, those might be the same place, but it doesn't mean that you should leave it up to the court to decide. Um, you know, if, if the law in your state says that it goes to your, you know, living next of kin and you're living next of kin is your sister. And that's who's you know, in the, in the, uh, chain of, of 
heirs. And by the way, you'd love your sister to get your assets. Well, you may as well just set it up so that your sister gets your assets. That's a lot quicker and painless of a process than it is getting the courts involved. And again, talking about limiting the number of third parties that get involved in your estate. Um, that's a, that's a, a big one. So I think we've covered one of the reasons of why you would want this. And I think I'm going to summarize that as saying that you want to make sure that uh, you decide where your assets go. And then the next part is you want to make sure that your heirs can actually access these assets. And these assets are, we started doing this because of Bitcoin, because if you are storing your Bitcoin correctly, you have it in very, very, I'm going to call it very secure storage. And it's designed so that other people, even your spouse, your partner can't get to very easily unless they really have a roadmap of what to do. But even before that, even besides the Bitcoin, you really want to make sure that your heirs know what assets you actually have. You can't find something that you don't know exists. So in the, let's just say we're talking about this 40 years ago, you're going to have something mailed to your house probably within a two to three month period. Almost every account you have will mail something to your house, right? Mm -hmm. You're your bank statement will be mailed to you once a month. If you have life insurance, maybe they send you a quarterly statement. Your stock thing will send you a quarterly statement. There will be things coming to you that that um, show what accounts you have. And so your family could just sit there and wait for three to four months and it'll probably cover just about everything. But in today's world, we don't have that. And even uh, the person you were talking about earlier, he started investing, I'm guessing, about 40 years ago. I think some of those accounts went back many years. Longer than and that, yeah. because he did not have just something as simple as a list of everything for his family, they still don't know if they've gotten to everything. They may never know. And mm -hmm. that's unfortunate. And like you said, with when you throw Bitcoin into the mix, it gets even more critical because part of the point of Bitcoin is that the only person who should be able to access it or people are the, are the people that hold the keys to, to spend it. And that's really where, where we started thinking about this was that, well, if you have a storage solution for your Bitcoin that requires more than one key out of a certain number of keys to unlock it, um, that's not a, that's not a straightforward process. Uh, if you're doing it right. I mean, if you're doing it wrong and you have a, you know, two key setup or a two of three setup where you need two keys in order to spend the Bitcoin and you've got both of those keys sitting in your desk drawer. Well, yeah, it's not too hard to get to it, but you've also left, you know, your assets sitting in a desk drawer, uh, that anybody can get to. So that's a horrible way to store it. So um, so if you do it right and you have those keys, you know, geographically separated and you have the backups to those keys uh, stored safely where they're not stored online um, or anywhere that's connected to the internet, um, all of those things, if you do them right, then 
by design, they're going to be hard to get to. So how do you put something in place that allows you to have that control while you're alive, but also makes it so that people aren't terribly confused, you know, that being confused is the, is the good outcome. The, the, the more likely and bad outcome is that they just can't get to it. And you hear these stories of people who die with, you know, I don't know how many dollars, but large amounts of cryptocurrency um, and their families have no idea how to get to it or there's nothing in place. And, um, and that's, you know, generational wealth that's just gone. Yeah, you know, we, we were at the Bitcoin conference last June and we were asking all the different people we ran into this question, you know, what have you done to, you know, everyone talks about Bitcoin being a multi-generational, multi-generational asset, but what have you done to prepare to, uh, to transfer this to your family when you are no longer here? And with the exception of one person, no one had done anything. And that one person was not a thought leader in the Bitcoin community. That one person was just a guy that owned a life insurance company or sorry, an right. insurance company. Um, right. The, there was not a single answer from people who, if you're into Bitcoin, um, there were people that we spoke to about it, whose names you would know. These are not just random people in the space. These are people who, um, who I respect greatly. And I think offer a tremendous amount to the com Bitcoin community, um, who, when you ask them that question, they say, you know, even, even somebody we talked to their, you know, their answer was, oh yeah, I really need to get on that. We heard that a lot. I think yeah. it was common. Yeah. It's a good they idea. They realize I that it's a need. It. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They realize that it's a need. They just haven't taken the time to put it in place. And so, um, so what we wanted to do with this was to help make it easier for people to put this in place if they want to. Yeah. And I also think Bitcoin is still a very young asset. You know, it may, may be in the news quite a bit. It may be front and center quite a bit on the world stage, but it's still a very new asset. And it's only really been around. You could say that it's been around since 2009. But in reality, I don't think it's really been, you know, they've been in existence since 2009. It really hasn't been a real asset. And I don't even know what year you would want to put that on, but I'll, I'll, I'll go backwards and say as of about 2012, you could say it was a real type of asset. I know when I when I looked at in 2012, it was at around $20 a coin. And never could I have imagined it would be here today, but it's still very new. So even if you go 2012 to today, that's only 10 years. And then you start to get into how is it being stored and multi-sig storage and some of these more sophisticated ways to do it. It, it hasn't been very long that you really needed a sophisticated plan. Right. There, um, these solutions weren't in place to, to make it feasible. Um, and I mean, multi-sig has been around for, for a little while, but, but without that, um, you know, it gets a lot trickier in terms of how do you uh, secure it and pass it along without creating a single point of failure. So multi-sig was a big improvement in the 
uh, storage protocol that that made this possible. Um, so you know, even something like that that didn't exist, um, you know, when it, when Bitcoin was first established, and um, and I forget exactly when multisig came out, but it was I, I want to say 2015, 2016, somewhere around there. Um, maybe I'm wrong. I'll, I'll check on that, but, but it's not something that's been around since the beginning. And it's not something that most people have considered, um, you know, as a viable storage solution until relatively recently. Um, and especially with, you know, the, with the companies like Casa and Unchained that are doing multi-sig as a service, um, you know, Without that, you really had to be comfortable kind of getting under the hood, um, running your own node and, you know, being able to set up um, those types of wallets that, you know, that's something that 99.9% .9 of people who own Bitcoin probably don't want to do, uh, much less, you know, just the average person who thinks that it's an investment that they want to have exposure to. Yeah, you know, there's a, there's a saying uh, you don't change Bitcoin, Bitcoin changes you. And I really am a big believer in that because I think that once you start owning Bitcoin, once you do all the the reading and the listening that you need to, to really understand it, you start to look at the world, I think, in, in a slightly different way. And you certainly dig deeper into any subject matter that you want to get into. But I also think that there's something about owning Bitcoin that forces you to be more responsible, that there were certain things you could get away with before. There were certain areas where you didn't really have to think things through to the very end. And what I mean by that is, let's just say I have a, a stock account with one of the various online brokers. If something were to happen to me and I have something very simple in my will that just says, you know, and these are, you know, all the rest and remainder of my state is going to go to my wife. Then my wife would get letters testamentary and she could go through to all the different places where I had an account. And those, those, I'm going to call it like legacy finance uh, operations. Sure. Banks and brokers. Banks and brokers. They would give her access to it. She could go to Charles Schwab and she could say, you know, my, my husband passed away. Here's a copy of his will. Here's a copy of letters testamentary and they would help her. It, it would take a while, you know, it, it may take weeks, possibly months, depending on, you know, what kind of order my state was in. But when you're dealing with multi-sig security with Bitcoin, even not multi-sig security, just if you just have your, uh, your, your keys on just a single Trezor or ledger or cold card or whatever you want to use, there's still something that your spouse will need to know because, there is no there is no 800 number or customer service number for bitcoin and if you're a bitcoin storage whether it's on you know cold storage usb device or whether you're using multisig if your heirs do not know how to get there if they don't have a roadmap first of all you need a roadmap of where you keep that key but if they don't have that roadmap of how to piece that together they will never get to it and who knows where the price of, of Bitcoin or any other digital asset is going in the future. I think that most people who would be listening to this probably think it's going up by at least a factor of 10 over the next 10 to 15 years. Mm -hmm. So whatever amount you may have in there may be significantly more. 
And without a roadmap to get to it, uh, your heirs don't have much chance depending on how much they know or how much they don't know and what kind of roadmap you have. So having that roadmap is really critical. And for me, in order to, to be responsible, in order to do the things that I think are right by my family, it was imperative that I put a, a robust inheritance plan in place. And I think that goes for everybody, whether you, whether you're protecting, I don't care if you're protecting $10,000 or $10 million, you know, it, if you, if, uh, I could argue that the $10,000 is more important to your family. If, if that's all you have, as opposed to 10 million, where maybe if a few million gets lost, uh, you know, <laughs> your family's okay. okay. Yeah. But regardless, I think that for, for the money that you have worked for and earned, um, and for what you want your legacy to be, to pass it on, uh, you do have to put in this amount of work. And, you know, I'm, I was not, uh, this was not one of my strong suits before. This was just something I didn't really particularly like. Uh, when I started getting into it, I realized my will was outdated. And my will wasn't that old. I think my will was only six or seven years old. But um, I had a child <laughs> during that time and um, the will did not reflect, uh, my new son. So. Yeah. It's important to keep all of that stuff, uh, in order. Uh, one other thing I was going to say when you were talking about, you know, the, the idea that, that Bitcoin changes you, uh, part of it is, is the mindset. And one example that popped in my head when you were talking about that is it's not estate related or inheritance related, but just think about this scenario for a moment, which is that if you are doing all of your daily business within the existing banking system in the United States, and let's just say you have a bank account at, I don't know, Bank of America or Wells Fargo. And aside from any discussions about the good or the bad of the banking system or the fiat monetary system, or whether or not Bitcoin is better. That's not where I'm headed with this. But the point is that if you have an account, say at Wells Fargo, and somehow something as simple as the number on the bottom of your check gets into the wrong hands, and somebody creates a new check and goes and draws that check on your account through forgery, we're talking about somebody committing an illegal act. Um, it happens all the time. It happened to me uh, probably about 15 years ago on one of my bank accounts, um, somebody copied the numbers and forged checks and went to the branch and took out some of my money and the bank turned around and said, okay, you're covered. And within a matter of maybe an hour, I had a new account and the money that had been stolen was in the new account back where, where it was when, it, when I left. And whether or not, you know, you're talking about FDIC insurance, SIPC, whatever those, um, those insurance plans are, or those backstops that are in place within that system, um, those do not exist in Bitcoin. And so the, and when we talk about self-sovereignty, this is what we're talking about. It's not that you have to do something that's so, you know, outlandish and crazy. Like you said, some people, you know, ask you, why are you doing all of this? This just seems like overkill or like you're assuming uh, 
that society is going to collapse and you have to be prepared. Well, all of those things are true. You have to prepare for the worst to some extent, depending on what your interpretation of the worst might be. Um, but something as simple as, you know, a small amount of money getting stolen because you leave it exposed in the current system, you get that money right back in Bitcoin. It's gone. And it's not just somebody writing a two or $300 check out of your account. It's somebody sweeping everything that's in that account out of it. And there's no way that you can get it back. And so it creates a different mindset. It's not just, okay, mm. how do I protect it? It's there's nothing in the system that's, that's serving to protect it other than me controlling it and making sure that it's secure. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I never really thought of that before, how it does create a different mindset. I think it's almost by, uh, it's almost a necessity because once you start controlling your own keys, you start to realize uh, what the what the risks are. And it does get you to think a little differently. Well, and, and there was... Um this concept isn't isn't mine and and a lot of people have talked about it but you've got this idea in bitcoin that is an asset that doesn't have a liability associated with it and you know you've got a bank account and when you when you log into your bank account or you get the statement from your bank um all they're telling you is how much money they owe you they're not telling you how much money you have because they may owe you that money and they may owe you that money until you get it from them. But the reality is that it's not guaranteed that it's yours when you need it. And, and when I say when you need it, that could, I mean, that's as simple as saying um, I need to go get, you know, a certain amount of cash out of the bank and the ATM won't let me get that much cash and it's Sunday and the bank is closed. So I can't get it. Mm -hmm. So it's something as simple as that. Or something as extreme as, you know, there's some sort of turmoil in society and there's a run on the bank. That's, you know, the other extreme. But whatever that is, there is a liability. The bank shows that deposit in its account as a liability to you. And so when you own Bitcoin, you have an asset and there is no liability. Nobody owes you anything. It's an asset that's in your custody and, you know, the only liability that you have is to protect it for everybody that you care about. Exactly. I was going to say there is a liability and that's protecting your keys for sure. And that's a responsibility more than a liability. Agreed. And with that, I think that the general message here is that there is a better way to inheritance plan. You should be responsible you should implement it. You should make sure that uh, when the time comes, and, and it's a certainty, but when that time comes, uh, that you have done the things you need to do to, to inform your family of what to do and to help protect your family by passing on the assets that you have built up over your lifetime. And with that, we have a, you know, we have a book that people can go buy on Amazon or any other place where you go buy books. But we've also, we're giving our, our sovereign inheritance planning guide away at no charge. People just need to go to our website and they can read it on there. Or they can download it. 
And with that, Matt, can you tell people where else they can find us? Uh, I can. Uh, first, I was going to also say that um, the next several episodes of this podcast are going to be going through the steps of that plan and kind of helping people walk through what they would need to do in order to put that roadmap in place. Um, we feel like that is just kind of a, a supplement to the guide, especially for people who might prefer audio or video content to reading um, the material. But um, but we will uh, be talking about that in the next several episodes. And um, and of course, we're here to help. Um, this is, you know, we're not we're not hiding the fact that this is our business and we would love to help you put that plan in place if you don't want to do it for yourself. Um, and if you have any questions about any of this stuff, um, please reach out to us. Uh, you can find us. So we're on Twitter at BTC Butlers. Um, our DMs are open. You can reach us at our website, btcbutlers.com. Email is info at btcbutlers.com. Um, and uh, I think, that's everywhere you can find us. Uh, you can always uh, put a comment in YouTube below, or uh, if you like this material, please subscribe on YouTube or any other uh, podcast platform that you're listening to. And uh, we really appreciate it. All right. Thank you, Matt. Appreciate it. See you next time. See you soon. Bye. Bye.